Amen and amen. Praise the Lord. What a great day of worship. Amen. amen. We are so grateful for uh, uh, Pastor Brian and the praise team and the choir leading us uh, to the throne room of heaven and letting us experience worshiping him at his feet. What a great day of worship. If you've been with us any length of time, you know that we've been going through the Gospel of John and the series called Only Jesus. And this is the next to the last sermon in that series. Next week, we'll complete the series, having gone all the way through the Gospel of John this year. I hope that uh, it has been a blessing to you as it has been to me. But today, we see the end of chapter 20, starting at verse 19, going to the end of that chapter, remembering uh, what is taking place here as we will look at that passage in a moment, that it's the day of uh, Jesus' resurrection. We see that on, that on that Lord's Day, and we'll look at that in a minute. But as I was thinking about this passage of Scripture, thinking about uh, Jesus as the risen life giver, the risen life giver, and thinking through that, thinking about how much the Lord has provided. And indeed, He is the provider. The Lord is a great provider. And just thinking, as I was thinking through that this week, thinking about how He has provided in my own life, in my life, he has provided in so many ways and provided so much, and I'm sure that you could give a witness to that too, amen, and that he has provided for you in so many different ways. I think in my own life and our own family, how the Lord has provided uh, on multiple occasions, financially, miraculously, how I think about how he has provided me in so many different ways and so many different things, uh, for instance, providing me even... Uh, to have the courage to say words that need to be said and the strength and the wisdom to not say what I was thinking, right? So grateful the Lord gives me what I need. He provides for me, providing for me to have energy when I need energy and rest when I need rest. He is the provider. And in providing me even, and you can probably uh, go along with this in your own life, he's provided me with the encouragement when I've been in the valley and also provided me with reality when I was on the mountaintop. So the Lord has been faithful to provide in my own life. He has provided in my life. But more importantly, this is what I want us to understand today. Not only do I think about what he's provided in my life, beloved, I remember that he has provided me with life, real life. And that's what we're going to look at today, that he is the provider of real life. As we come to this last part of chapter 20, we're going to see that he is the risen life giver. And so in honor and reverence to the word of God, if you would please stand as I read this passage for us today, if you're able to stand, of course, and I'll read verses 19 through 31 of John 20. The Bible says this, Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in the midst and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. So Jesus said to them again, Peace to you. As the Father has sent me, I'll also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. Now Thomas called the twin. One of the twelve was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore said to him, We have seen the Lord. And so he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the print of the nails, and put my finger into the print of the nails, and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. And after eight days his disciples were again inside, and Thomas with them. Jesus came, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst. And he said, Peace to you. 
And then he said to Thomas, reach your finger here and look at my hands and reach your hand here and put it into my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. And Thomas answered and said to him, my Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Thomas, because you've seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. And truly, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written, that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the promise of your word that we may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And that we believe in you, that you will give us life, real life. And Father, we pray that if there are those here today who have never received that life, that this would be that hour, to have the life that only you can give. But also, Father, we pray that for those of us who've already been born again, who know you as Lord and Savior, who indeed are your disciples today, Lord, that you would remind us afresh and anew today about the life that we have in Jesus, our risen Lord and Savior. And so, Lord, empower us, guide us, direct us. Lord, may everything that's said and done bring honor and glory to your name. And may we walk away from here today with a greater passion for you and on fire for the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray now that the words of my mouth, meditation, my heart would be acceptable in your sight. Oh, Lord, my rock and my redeemer, for it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Well, you see the outline for today's message in the bulletin, if you picked up one of those, and we're going to follow that along. If not, of course, you have the MPBC Life app. We'll follow along there, filling in, filling in those blanks. And as we're looking at this life that we have in Jesus Christ, we see, first of all, that we have a life of peace. Now, remembering as we come to this passage of Scripture that where we left off last week, that it's the same day of the week of what took place last Sunday. So we left off, where we, we pick up where we left off last week, where if you remember, Mary and the other women had been at the tomb, saw that the stone had been rolled away, assumed that the body of Jesus had been stolen. They ran to the disciples, saw Peter, and whom we assume is John. They went, ran to the tomb, out, John outrunning Peter, go in, see the things. John believes that Jesus has risen. Then Mary stays at the, womb, at the tomb weeping, and she cries there, and then sees the angels. Then she sees Jesus, thinking he's the gardener. He speaks. She recognizes his voice. She falls at his feet, and then he sends her to the disciples to say that, he, she, that she has seen him and that he's spoken these things to her. It's that very same day. In the evening, the Bible says, in verses 19 through 21, that very same day, in the evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews. And Jesus came, stood in the midst, and said to them, Peace be with you. And when he said this, he showed them his hands and his side, and the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. And then Jesus said to them again, Peace to you. So as we think about being one of the disciples in that, that room that night, same day as when they had heard about Jesus being resurrected, that the body was missing, but that Mary had seen the Lord. Now, disciples had to be filled with all kinds of emotions, if you, as you can just imagine. 
There maybe was still some uncertainty in some of them, some hopefulness now where they were hopeless before because Jesus had died. Now there's some hopefulness that's welling up within them. Indeed, there's also some anxiousness because the Bible tells us here that they were fearing for their life as they're in this room. And they're locked in this room. The doors are shut. So they're behind closed doors. And the Bible tells us here also that Thomas was not with them. But then eight days later, he's with the disciples, and Jesus shows up there as well. And as we look at the disciples here in this room on the day of the resurrection, then we see the eight days later, we see there's a parallel event, I think, that takes place. And a couple things we see that happened then as, as the eighth day as well. And that is, first off, that Jesus says something to them. He says this in verse Uh, 19 to the disciples, peace be with you. And then again, he says it in verse 21, as he showed them his hands inside, peace to you. Again, over in 26, when Thomas is there, Jesus again says, peace to you. Now, in that day, there would have been a standard Jewish greeting, like shalom. He would have said, shalom. And, you know, we sort of do some of that today. When we see people, we have a standard greeting. We say, hey, how you doing? And we usually reply, well, I've been keeping busy. Right? I mean, we all do that, right? It didn't dawn on me that we all do this until we were talking to Jean-Marc and Mira over the years and noticed that they say the same thing. They echo us uh, to, so that they will be part of our culture. And they, uh, no matter whether they're in texting or emailing or whatever, they always ask the same thing, hey, how are you? Well, this is what we do all the time. Well, this is what they did all the time is they would have a greeting of shalom. But here with Jesus doing it twice, in the room with the disciples indicates there's more to this than just a greeting. And also when we realize what has happened in the, with the resurrection, then this word of shalom, this word of peace to you, brings a deeper and a fuller meaning to Jesus offering them peace. And what does that mean? That means that Jesus really, really does offer peace. That peace, in other words, is not just a good idea. That peace is, is not just a catchphrase in passing. That this peace is actually possible. This peace that he is offering to them is a life of peace. Peace that calms, listen, it's peace that calms our fears. It's peace that overcomes our worries. It's peace that settles all of our anxieties. It is a peace that conquers our uncertainties. It is the peace that passes all understanding. And is the peace that comes when we know the risen Savior, Jesus Christ. It is the peace that we have because we have been given a new life. It's a life of peace. And beloved, it only comes from Jesus. This peace only comes from him. As we see Jesus speaking to the disciples here on the day of the resurrection and then eight days later and saying to them, peace to you, Our minds have to go back to what Jesus had said back in chapter 14. You remember, as he was speaking to the disciples then, he said these words. He said, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. What a promise of the Lord, amen? 
He says, look, my peace I'm giving to you. Not, the world, not as the world gives, but, but you let, neither let it be afraid. Let your heart be troubled, nor let it be afraid. You have this peace that comes from me, a life of peace. And then if we move just a little bit further in the Gospel of John from 14 into chapter 16, Jesus again says, these things I have spoken to, be, to you, watch this, that in me you may have peace. In the world, watch, in the world you will have tribulation, but be of a good cheer. I have overcome the world. And we know that Jesus has overcome the world. He has overcome the cross. He has overcome the grave. He has overcome death. He has overcome sin. He has overcome Satan. And he has conquered it all. And in him we have peace. Amen. And, this is, and for the disciples then, as Jesus speaks peace to them, this meant that they had four different kinds of peace. Number one, they had peace with God. There's a new position now because Jesus has resurrected from the grave. They're now children of the Father. They're children of God. And they're at peace with God. So Romans 5.1, you know, says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So the peace that Jesus offers in this life, this new life, is peace with God. But then also, as the disciples are living out their lives, there had to have been peace also not only with God, but peace with each other. You know, I cannot help but to wonder, wouldn't you have loved to have been with those, you know, listening to the disciples talking, knowing what we know now, and if, they, if we were to, to step into their lives and when they didn't know what was going to happen? They didn't have a quite full understanding. But just to hear some of their conversations, you know, I suspect that I, I wonder if there was some skepticism about each other. If there was some grumbling with each other. If some murmuring even among them as disciples. For instance, saying, well, you ran. Well, so did you. Well, at least I didn't deny Jesus. You could just sort of hear that, can't you? Among these disciples, because even they were the, the closest to Jesus, there were times when even when they disagreed or tried to push their own agenda ahead of other people. But because, listen, but because of the risen life giver, now not only do they have peace with God, but now they have peace with each other as well. And so they have peace with God, they have peace with each other, and then also I see here that they have peace with themselves. Because the Bible tells us here in verse 20 that when Jesus had shown them his hands and his side, the Bible says that the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. But if, if, if printed words could scream, I suspect they'd scream right about there. For they were rejoicing when they saw the Lord. They were ecstatic when they saw the Lord. They were excited when they saw the Lord. The disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. You see, their joy had been restored. They were glad. And so now they have not only peace with God and peace with each other, but they have peace with themselves. And not only those things, but also they have peace out in the world. You see, even though they would be persecuted, even though they would be prosecuted, even though they would pay the price of following Jesus with their own lives, they would have peace even as they're out in the world because they're at peace with God. And they have the peace of God in their lives. This life of peace. And beloved, what we need to understand as disciples today is this. Is that we can have this same life of peace. Amen? We can have this same life of peace. Because we have a life of peace since Jesus is the risen life giver. In Romans chapter 8 verse 6 it says, For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. 
To be spiritually minded means that we, have no, we know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. The Holy Spirit lives within us. So to be spiritually minded is life and peace. You see, the thing about us today in this world is that we try to find peace in so many different places. We try to find peace in the places in our workplace, things that we do. Maybe it's in books we read, vacations we take, or money that we spend, or shopping that we do. Whatever it is, we try to find peace in so many places. But, beloved, here's what we need to understand is that the only peace is truly found in one place, and it's in Jesus Christ. We're going to try to do a lot of different things to try to gain peace, but peace is found only in Jesus. This week, Christopher, my son, uh, sent me a text, and he said, been spending some time with your old friend today. Spending some time with your old friend today. Yes, oh, yeah. So he sent me a picture, and uh, so when he sent me the picture, I said, oh, yes, I remember that friend. I remember that friend. You see that friend on the screen there? So yeah, me and that friend, we've been spending, we spent a lot of hours together. When I was weighed down with a lot of burdens, or weighed down with a whole lot of people, I'd go spend time with this friend. And I'd share my frustrations with this friend. Man, that business meeting, that business meeting, and those, those crazy people, and boy, I really need a break. And I'd sharpen my friend, and he would shape me. Spend a lot of time with my friend. You see, that work gave me a lot of release, but a lot of times while I was working, I was praying because that friend of mine didn't give me peace, but my true friend gave me peace, and his name is Jesus. Amen? That's the true friend that never disappoints. So friends, here's what I would say to you. Maybe you're here today and you're going through a hard time for some reason, something you don't quite understand. You just feel like you need to have some peace. I'm trying to find peace here. I'm trying to find peace there. I just can't get peace about life, about the situation, whatever it is. Beloved, let me tell you something. This is what you need to do. If you're looking for peace, you need to look up. Look up and look toward Jesus. And as you cast your eyes toward heaven and you look at Jesus, let me ask you a question as you look at Jesus. Does he look distressed? Does he look anxious? Does he look worried about your struggle? No, he does not, because he is the giver of life, of peace. Amen? You can trust him. He gives us a life of peace, but also we see that he gives us a life of proof. So as the risen, life, risen giver of life, he offers peace and he offers proof. Now, when you look at verse 20 here again, as he appears to the disciples, it says, when he had said this, he said, peace be with you. He showed them his hands and his side. And disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. What was he doing? He's showing them proof. In verse 27 and verse 28, when Thomas is finally there with the disciples, verse 27 and 8, it says, then he said to Thomas, reach your finger here and look at my hands and reach your hand here and put it into my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. And Thomas said, my Lord and my God. You see, what Jesus does here is that he offers proof. He gives proof. Listen, he gives proof that he has risen. It is proof that he is who he says he is, that he is the Christ, the Son of God. 
You know, that's why John was inspired by the Holy Spirit to write the gospel, remember? As a matter of fact, that, that verse we kept coming to a lot of weeks is found here in this passage of Scripture in verse 31. You remember, let's look at it again. It says, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. And so throughout the entirety of this book, John has written so that you would believe that Jesus is who he says he is. So that you would believe and in believing you may have life. You remember as we've gone through the book how we've learned and heard how Jesus is the word who became flesh. That he's the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That he's the one who saw Nathaniel under the fig tree. That he's the one who turns the water into wine at the wedding of Cana. That he's the one who has the authority to cleanse the temple. That he's the one who tells about the love of God who gave his only son. That he's the one who sees the woman at the well and offers living water. That he's the one who heals the noble man's son from a distance. That he's the one who healed the lame man at the pool of Bethesda. That he's the one who feeds the 5,000 with the five loaves and the two fish. That he's the one who walks on the water and the waves obey his voice. That he's the one who claims the name above all names. That he's the great I am. That he's the one who gives sight to the man who was born blind. That he's the one who explains that he's the shepherd who would give his life for the sheep. That he's the one who would go to the tomb of a dead man named Lazarus who'd been dead for four days and he would call out his name and this dead man would come out of that grave alive. That he's the one who makes a triumphal entry into Jerusalem in fulfillment of prophecy. That he's the one who would also be the one to wash his disciples' feet, serving them as a lowly servant and predicts that he would be betrayed and denied. He's the one who tells of his own arrest, his own betrayal, his own crucifixion, and it all occurred just as he has said. And he also is the one who explains to the heart of hearing that he would rise again on the third day, and he did. Amen? That's who this is. And Jesus proves that he is the Christ, the Son of God. And these things are written so that you may believe and have life. But what we know is that there are times when people have struggles to believe. People struggle to believe in Jesus. Thomas struggled to believe. Or see in verse 25 where, where he was not with the disciples when Jesus first appeared to them. And then later, eight days later, the disciples say to him, verse 25, We have seen the Lord. And he said, Look, unless I see in his hands... The print of the nails, and I put my finger into the print of the nails, and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. You see, friends, there are still people today who struggle to believe. There's a lot of theories that are out there about the resurrection. There's one known theory, and some of you have heard of this before. It's called the swoon theory. And so that theory, just to give you an idea of what the swoon theory is, that theory is a view that claims that Jesus had not actually died, but was unconscious when he was placed in the tomb. And that while he lay comatose, that the spices and the linen bandages provided a helpful dressing for his injuries. And then finally, the dampness of the tomb revived him, at which time he rescued himself from those bandages, arranged them neatly for the viewer, then pushed the stone away 
eluded the guards who were bound by threat of death to keep that seal from being broken. And then after clothing himself, he spent the day playing a ghost. But here's what we do know. Is that the soldiers were hardened professionals and they proclaimed him to be dead. That no human could survive the process of torture and execution as the gospels describe here. That Jesus was taken down from the cross and he was carried to Joseph of Arimathea's uh, tomb without any sign of life. That he, there he was washed and he was bound with a hundred pounds of spices and bandages and then placed in the tomb. Now beloved, I'm here to say to you that it takes more faith to believe the swoon theory than it does to take to believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Jesus lives. And so here's a question for you this morning. Do you really believe in the resurrection? Do you really believe that Jesus is the risen life giver? And if so, then here's another question. Does your life prove it? Does your life prove it? You see, Jesus gave proof of who he is. What does your life prove? Does it prove, does your life prove that Jesus lives? Because the disciples would live out their lives constantly proving this very thing. That Jesus Christ had risen from the dead. Amen? They lived their entire lives and went to their death proving that Jesus has risen. We see them first off in this passage of scripture in the room with the door shut for fear of the Jews. But then we can move just to Acts. And we find in Acts them boldly proclaiming Jesus Christ is alive. No matter what happens to them, no matter what comes their way, they're going to proclaim that Jesus is the way of salvation, the only way of salvation, and that there's no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. What in the world happened to them? I'll tell you what happened. They had proof that Jesus lives. They saw Jesus and the Holy Spirit in empowered them on the day of Pentecost. They were changed forever. Here we see Thomas wasn't with them. And then he, in the beginning there, he said, I will not believe unless I have proof. And we, we read that and we think about old Thomas, but we can give old Thomas a hard time, can't we? Oh, come on, Thomas. I mean, look at the evidence. It's right there in front of you, Thomas. Why are you so doubtful? Just believe. Because the reality we have to just imagine being in Thomas's sandals, okay? Because the reality must have been hard to swallow. But then he sees Jesus. And in verse 28, when he sees Jesus, nowhere does it say there. Jesus said to him in the verse prior to that, you know, reach your finger here, look at my hands, reach your hand here, put it into my side. Nowhere do we see that Thomas had to do that. But rather what Thomas does, he answers and he says, my Lord and my God. My Lord and my God. You know, as reading the commentaries this week, and that was said, it is said of this, that this is the highest confession of faith in all of Scripture. That he calls Jesus Lord and God. Lord means master. So he's saying that the one who has power over life and death has the right to rule over his life. He's the Lord. He has authority over him. And that he is God. He is indeed Yahweh in the flesh. To see Jesus is to see God. He is God. 
And he calls him God. And Jesus doesn't rebuke him for that. He acknowledges it by just him accepting and receiving it. So he says, my Lord, my God. But then also we see this personal surrender to Jesus where he says, my Lord and my God. You see, Thomas's life is forever changed and he acknowledged Jesus as his Lord and his God. The question for you this morning is, is he yours? Is he the Lord of your life? Is he truly God or is there some other God that you've set up in your life? Do you really, really believe? You know, some of us have heard the story of the crucifixion and the resurrection since Sunday school, back when we were kids. But we make, but sometimes it's hard for some people to believe in this because we have seen so many make-believe cartoons and make-believe Hallmark movies in our lifetime. Come on now. That sometimes we've had a hard t- we have a hard time grasping the reality of what took place on that morning. You see, this was not another actor pretending to be dead. This was not a murder mystery where the real person's still alive behind the scenes somewhere. This was not a body that's been prepared by a makeup artist. This is not a stone that's made of paper mache. No. That's not what it is at all. These were not haloed angels with spotlights and fog machines for effect. All of this is real. Jesus, the living, breathing, walking on the earth, Son of God, died. Whose pulseless, non-breathing, crucified body was lifeless in a tomb, wrapped in linen, surrounded in spices. And a stone was rolled across the mouth of that cave, and a seal was placed upon it. And then something miraculous, marvelous, magnificent, and matter-of-fact happened. The breakdown of the cells began to reverse. The molecules began to re-knit. The amino acids rekindle. The heart that was pierced is now regathered and enclosed. His muscles begin to move. His eyes begin to open. His lungs take in and exhale air. It's almost as if if he just woke up. But it's more than that. He was dead and now he is alive. And here is the proof. He says, look at my hands. Look at my side. And not only do we have that proof, beloved, but we have the proof of these witnesses. And we look at their changed lives. And we have the changed life of Thomas and countless others throughout the centuries. The people's lives who have been changed through the centuries because of the risen giver of life. And you want to know what else? We also have the witness of changed lives today as well. Amen. All around us we still people who come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Maybe you can remember a person or know a person who was so far from the Lord. But then the Lord got a hold of their lives and we've watched them and we recognize that they are no longer the same because they now have life in Jesus. And here's the thing. Some of you even told me that that's not just somebody else, but that was you. That was us. The Lord has gotten a hold of our lives. You see, beloved, there's proof that Jesus Christ is Lord and God. And you need to understand this morning that he is able to change sinners just like you and just like me. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25, Therefore he also is able, watch this, to save to the uttermost 
Those who come to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. What's he able to do? He is able to save to the uttermost. No matter how wicked you think you are, our God, Jesus, the risen life giver, is able to save you to the uttermost. Now that's all right, ain't it? Amen? And Galatians 2.20, listen to what Paul says here. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. Now watch. It is no longer I who live. But it is Christ who lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. This life that you see, it's not me, but it's been changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it's not me who's living, but it's him living in me. It's proof of that. And so here's the thing, friends. Jesus was resurrected from the grave, and he has resurrected us as believers. The risen life giver has given us new life, and our life proves that the Savior lives. The question is, is there proof that he lives in you? Does your life tell the story of the risen Savior and new life? The risen life giver gives us a life of peace. He gives us a life of proof. And thirdly, he gives us a life of purpose. And just a couple verses here, we see that he gives us the commission. He commissioned, we see the commission of Jesus. And in that commission, we see the method, the message, and the mission. Real quick. Verse 21, we see that he gives this commission. Look here. He says, Jesus said to them again, Peace to you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. Now, now that's the method. The method is, as the Father has sent me, I also send you. Well, yeah, we know that we've been sent out. No, no, you're missing it. As the Father has sent me, Jesus said, I also send you. Well, how did, how did Jesus come? Well, look, Jesus came to us. He did not wait for us to come to him. And so the method is that we are to go. Not wait for them to come to us. We go to them. It sort of sounds like, meeting people where they are and pointing them to Jesus. Come on, can I get a witness, right? That's the method right there. And then the message, look at verse 23. Jesus says, after he tells them, he sent them, verse 23, he says, If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. Now what he's saying here is that the disciples would have the authority to declare God's condemnation of sin and his offer of forgiveness. So this passage in verse 23 is better understood as a proclamation of forgiveness that comes through Jesus Christ. As a disciple, I do not have the authority or the right to forgive sins because there's only one who can forgive sins, and his name is not Joey, it's Jesus. Amen? Only Jesus can forgive sins. So if a person, so the message is if a person does not believe in Jesus, they do not have this forgiveness. But those who do believe in him do have forgiveness. So here's the message. Come to Jesus and be forgiven and be reconciled to God. So we see the method to go, to go where they are. Don't wait for them to come to you. You go to them. And the message is come to Jesus, be forgiven, be reconciled to God. And then there's the mission. The end of verse 29, Jesus is speaking to Thomas. He says, blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. So the mission indicates that there are people who are going to be disciples who have not seen, which would be to the disciples a mission as they need to go to those who have not seen, that there would be others who would believe. 
And so the mission was to go and to proclaim the message to the masses and to the individuals. So Jesus says, as the Father has sent me, I also send you. In the Gospel of Matthew, we read that Matthew records it this way, that Jesus says, All authority has been given to me in heaven on earth. Go therefore, make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. Mark records it this way. He said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel. To every creature. And Luke records it this way in chapter 24. Thus it is written and thus it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day. And that repentance and remission of sins should be preached to, in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. And you are witnesses of these things. And so here's what we need to know. Is that the risen life giver has given you and your life a purpose. And your purpose is to proclaim Jesus and his forgiveness. And including making disciples here and there and everywhere that there are people. That's our purpose. We were created with a purpose. To bring glory and honor to our creator, pointing people to Jesus Christ. Amen? So, you, so now because of the, real, the risen life giver, we have the life of peace. We have a life of proof. And we have a life of of purpose, and fourthly, we have a life of power. I'm just getting warmed up, all right? Here we go. Now look at verse 31. It says, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, that believing you may have life in his name. That's the verse, the key verse for the entirety of the entire book, right? And so as we've already mentioned, these things are written so that you may, what? Have life. Believe so that you will have life. This life comes from Jesus. The risen Jesus. In verse 22, notice Jesus does something here. When he said these things, he says, Peace to you, as Father sent me, I send you. He said this, He breathed on them, and he said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. Now as I read that, I'm reminded of the beginning of the book. Not the book of John. This book. Genesis. Reminded of what took place in Genesis. I'm reminded of, what, reminded of what God did in the beginning. So back in Genesis chapter 2 and verse 7, we read these words. And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground. And what did he do? He breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. Now understand what we're looking at here. In this passage of Scripture, Jesus doesn't give the Holy Spirit here, but rather it symbolizes the life of that is coming as the Spirit will be given in Acts chapter 2. Because here's what we need to know, is that He is the one who created us, and we have life. And th but then, listen, but then we are born again in Jesus, and it's then that we have real life. Amen? Real life. And as we watch what unfolds in Acts, we recognize that the life that we have in Jesus is one of resurrection power. This life in which we live is a powerful life, a life of power that comes from the Lord. Paul spoke of this power in the book of Ephesians. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 19 and 20, in the ESV, it reads this way. And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. So this same power 
that raised Jesus Christ from the dead has raised you from the dead and now dwells within you to give you the power to live the life. Man, that's pretty good power, wouldn't you say? Resurrection power. In Ephesians 3, verses 20 and 21, also in the ESV, it says, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Boy, I'm telling you, that's good power. Amen? Power of God, the life of power, living this life out. So as believers in Jesus... He has given us a life of power because the Holy Spirit of God is in us. And so because of that, we have power. And we have the power, first off, to share our faith. About, you know, in Acts 1.8, it says, But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me. You say, well, no, preacher, I can't tell people about Jesus. Oh, yes, you can, because you got the power to do it right there. Amen. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit lives within you and you have the power to share your faith, resurrection power, when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. But not only do we have the power to share our faith, we have the power to endure suffering. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, you remember that passage of Scripture where Paul says, you know, I'm, I'm hard-pressed on every side but not crushed, I'm perplexed, perplexed but not in despair. Well, right before that, in verse 7, it says, but we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. So when I'm hard-pressed, I'm not crushed. When I'm perplexed, I'm not in despair. You see, we have the power, the resurrection power, to endure the suffering that Christians inevitably will suffer. So we have the power to tell people about Jesus. We have the power to endure the suffering but we also have the power to do his will. It says in Colossians 1.29, To this end I also labor, striving according to his working, which works in me mightily. I labor, striving according to his working, which works in me mightily. Well, preacher, I want to do what's right, but you know that old devil, he gives me a hard time. He made me do it. No, he didn't. You chose to do it. Because here's the thing, is that you now have power the resurrection power of the Spirit living within you to enable you to live the life of following Jesus. You have that power. Laboring with His working which works in us mightily. You see, Jesus is risen. And He has given new life to you and to me who know Christ as Savior. Real life in Him and real life because of Him. Real life of peace, real life of proof, real life of purpose, real life of power. The question that I have for you now is this. Knowing that, knowing the life that he offers us, are you satisfied in Jesus? You C.S. Lewis said these words, very convicting words. He said, if we, cons- if we consider the unblushing promises of reward and the staggering nature of the rewards promised in the Gospels, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong but too weak, that we are half-hearted creatures fooling around with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us like an ignorant child 
who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea, that we are far too easily pleased. We are far too easily pleased in the things that this world is offering us when Jesus offers us something of infinite joy. Delighting in him and being satisfied with our Savior. So, beloved, what have you fixed your eyes on? What kind of life are you living? A life that the world says that you want or a life that you really need in Jesus? Because that life is a life of peace. And that life is a life of proof. And that life is a life of purpose. And that life is a life of power. Two things to do, we're done. Number one. If you're here today and you've never trusted this Jesus, the one who is the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world, who died on a cross for you and rose bodily from the grave, he's calling you to himself today. Number one thing to do is confess Jesus as my Lord and my God. Knowing that he's the one who saves and he's the one who has the authority to be your Lord, your Master, Because he alone is God. Will you make him your own? Will you surrender to him? Personally saying, Lord, I want you to be the Savior, the Lord, the Master over my life. Will you trust him by faith? Turning from sin, turning to Jesus. Believing that he is who he says he is. And find real life in Jesus. And then secondly, whether you've been a Christian for a long time or not, The second thing is is for you, to believe and live. Believe and live. Do you believe that he gives peace? Then live it. Do you believe that there's proof that he lives? Then live like he lives in you. Do you believe that he's given us a purpose? Then live it out. Do you believe that he gives us power to obey him, to follow him, and to serve him? Then live the real life. Amen. Believe and live. Let's live the life that's the real life that God has given to us through his son and our Savior, the risen life giver. Let's pray. Father, may you have your way in our hearts and lives. May you guide us and direct us, Lord, as we come to this invitation. Lord, that maybe there are those here today who need to make this confession their own today. As they come to you, Lord Jesus, as you draw them to yourself, that they would say, my Lord and my God, because you call them to yourself. Lord, I pray that there'd be those who would make that confession today. Come and take one of these pastors by the hand and say, I need Jesus to be the Lord of my life. And we'll be glad to pray with them today. Father, maybe there are those of us here today who need to say, I needed to be reminded of this today, that because of Jesus, I don't need to live in this life without having peace. I need to live a life of proving that Jesus lives in me. I need to live this life of purpose because he's risen. I need to tell people about that. I need to live a life of power, not my power, but his power, to obey him, to follow him, to endure, to struggle in his name, but to also to to live out living this life of following Jesus. 
So, Father, I pray that you'd help us to believe and to live it out, to be the people of God you've called us to be, as you have reminded us that our Savior is not dead in a tomb, that our Savior lives. So, Lord, may you guide us to live that out in our own lives, we pray. As we come to this invitation, may you have your way in every heart and every life, whether that's taking a pastor by the hand for prayer or coming to pray silently on these steps. Lord, may you work in each of us today for your glory and for your honor, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.